this is the I Am Redemption podcast, and today we have a very special guest. We have my friend, Amanda Santaford. Said that right? Yep. All right. Got it. Um, Amanda and I have known known each other probably about six months or so. We uh, we met in the gym. Um, I think we were just shooting the shit, and she had told me that she was a, an Austin police officer. And so as soon as she told me that, me, on my personal journey, I've spent so much time on the other side of the law. And I was just looking for a way of somehow that I could like kind of make a difference or make living amends. Um, and I was I was blown away with how welcoming she was, the people she introduced me to, which ended up leading me to going and sitting have like having like a sit down meeting in the in the police station. And uh, I walked in. And there's eight other officers there, and they were like super excited to have me there. And I was just blown away because that was not my that was not my uh, not my con- concept. It was just not the, what, I, what I was visualizing, and it was definitely the first time I was welcomed into a police station. So <laughs> it was very cool, and you know I've gotten to know a little bit about you, but I know you have a, an interesting story that's led you, you know, to to who you are and what you do today. And so I'd like to introduce Amanda, and would you like to tell a little bit about yourself and kind of your story and yeah, you where you're at? Um, yeah. So uh, I never, first of all, I never thought I'd be a cop. Never right. was never on my radar. Um, but I love it. Like, and I always say like, you have to love this job or it makes you crazy. Right. Um, but again, I, it was never on my radar. I think everybody thought I would be on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess from where I start, I guess just how I started. Yeah. Um, my going way back, my folks split when I was about 13. So perfect timing going into all that teenage angsty right. BS, right? Um, and she brought in a man that was an alcoholic, uh, addicted to pain pills, and it was chaos. Um, I was a fiercely independent child. Mm-hmm. I know, shocker. Um, but as a teenager then and in that environment, that independence became defiance and rebellion. Um, it was abusive. And I was arrested at 15 um what, what what if you don't mind me asking what for so they say jail is full of innocent people <laughs> right um and i really didn't do what they accused me of but it was burglary um criminal trespass criminal mischief okay um bunch of kids broke into a movie theater not a bunch two guys broke into the movie theater um the next day they wanted to sneak into a movie and i was like no way guys like so they want to return to the scene of the crime yeah <laughs> Um, genius, I know. And I didn't want to sneak into the movie, but one of the guys gave me, we didn't know they had done this either, right? And I'd gotten a criminal trespass warning the day before. Mm -hmm. Uh, so one of the guys hands me some movie passes, says, man, to go buy the tickets with these. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I do still think it's something's a little fishy, but I'm 15 and I want to go see a free movie. Yeah. So we go into the movie, which was clueless. (laughs) <laughs> um, and there was a guy standing in the back the whole time, right? I was like, that just doesn't, seemed weird. Right. And about five minutes into the movie, the lights came on, and these, it was Williamson County, where it's illegal to be a kid, right? Right. Wilco deputies walked down the aisle, and on their way back up, they were like, you guys, come with us. And so were you with the guys that had actually broken up in there? One of the guys was okay. there. Okay. Um, so we're all hauled off to the station. And I remember sitting with the detective. There was three juveniles, three adults. So we were separated. 
the juveniles were sitting with one of the detectives when a deputy walked in and said, all right, this guy John, he said it was him and this guy Chris that did it. They didn't have anything to do with it. The property's in his room under the bed. We've already talked to mom. we got deputies going over there to get the property. And the detective, to this day, I remember verbatim what he said was, he goes, good, but I don't care. He goes, I'm going to bust you for what was actually breaking into the theater or just being a getaway driver. I'm going to bust you for something. And whatever, right? Yeah. But damn it, they got me. Yeah. Like I had to do the youth offenders classes, like probation, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But thank goodness I was a juvenile. Right. Um, didn't go well at home either. Right. <laughs> so, but I remember that to this day and apply that. Like, what a dick, right? Like, yeah. I don't want to do that to people. Right. And so I apply that now in my job mm-hmm. and that I remember it so well and how somebody treated me. Right. Um, but so moving forward, um, yeah, the my mom's husband just was out of control. She finally kicks him out at one point. And when she brought him back, I remember the day I was 16 years old and she said, Sam's coming back and we're finally going to get married. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can't do that. Right. And I left. Oh, at 16? At 16, right. I left. And I was living in a flop house. This is how we called it. Right. The youngest was 12. The oldest was 18. Um, I wound up... <laughs> one of the things, too, like, I was always truant. I had to do a lot of Saturday schools. I had to do a lot of in, in-school suspension. When people ask where... Because I grew up around here, too. Right. So they ask, where, where'd you go to high school? I said, well... I was definitely enrolled at Westwood High School. Right. I'm not sure I'd say I went there. Right. Uh, but I wound up withdrawing myself out of school, having to work full time, take care of myself. Um, and as you can imagine, a, a teenager finds plenty of trouble. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll, I'll tell you already, just hearing where where you've come from, you, you would never imagine that you would end up being a law enforcement officer. No, I was hanging out with drug dealers um we were drinking all the time i was dating much older men mm-hmm. 10 years older like i was just i was not in a good place right but i recognized it and i had to run right um and I had to run from those people mm-hmm. and get myself out of that environment and so i packed a bag and just took the clothes on my back and ran to washington state really i <laughs> got as far away as i could and i didn't speak to my mother the whole time Really? Um, How did for, you make, for about like, two and a half years. It's like, how did you get out there? No, so my dad was living up there. Okay. And I had gone to my brother who was here mm-hmm. for help. Mm-hmm. And my brother said, you can move in for a little bit till you get back on your feet. Um, but you have to call dad. Because I wasn't speaking to either of my parents. Right. And so he made me call my dad. My dad actually refused to help me at first. Mm-hmm. But his wife called me back and said, talk to your father. He's told me what's happening. And he sees it my way. I think you're right. I think you're making the right decision. Um, that's a that's a powerful thing for a, a step parent. Right. To, I was to do by that time. I was about seventeen and a half or so, um, pregnant. Really. And just and I didn't know what to do. Right. And so she said, "You're going to come up here." And I lived with them for about six months. Got on my feet. And I stayed there for about two years, mm-hmm. and then just wanted to come home. Really? Right. So, um, and then I finally called my mom because now I'm growing up. 
what made you want to come back home like fear of missing out like you had you when you were out in washington you had gotten your life together oh yeah and so went back to school um wound up graduating high school okay um i tested into a program Mm -hmm. at the community college where you take college classes simultaneously so when you graduate high school, you could potentially have an associate's degree. Right. Right. And you have to test in. Nobody knows you're a high school student. Mm. State paid tuition. You buy your books. Um, and so that's how I graduated high school wow. was going to college. Yeah. Um, and the only reason why I have college credit. Right. So, but I just was cold. It was yeah. wet. My friends were here, you know, because I, I just left. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a chance to say goodbye to anybody. That night I talked to my stepmother. She was like, call me tomorrow. And when I called her the next day, she had a plate ticket. Mm. And so fi- like, here was somebody finally willing to fight for me or stand up for me. Do you think she just you know, knew you were pregnant and saw it from like a, a woman's perspective? 100%. Really? 100%. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, have, you, have you thought like what would have happened if she didn't oh, say that? Oh, a million times. I've run that through. You know, I'd be connected to people not so great people, right? right? Um, For the rest of my life. Mm. Um, I certainly wouldn't be where I am now. Right. So, yeah, there's no telling (laughs) where I'd be. Right. So, so you got in your, you got in your life together out there and you just said, I'm going to give it another try back in Texas. Yep. And now you had, you also had like good friends you had grown up with that obviously weren't fucking up. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. So So you you come back to Texas. mm -hmm. Came back, reconnected with some good friends. I reconnected with my mom, repair, trying to repair that relationship. And where, where was she at, at that time? Was she doing well, or she? Well, she was still with the same guy, right? But I don't have to live with him right. now, right? But I also recognize that we need to have a mother-daughter mm. relationship, and I, I don't have to deal with him. Um, but I was working like three jobs, and they owned their own security company. Okay. And they took on a lot of high-risk properties. Mm-hmm. And she knew I was kind of struggling. She asked, why don't you come work for us? I told her I'm going to need X dollars an hour. And she said, done. Said, okay. So reluctantly went into the security field. Like I hated the fact that I was doing it, but all right, here I am. Um, I started coming in contact with a lot of police officers, right? I was... Again, very high risk properties, a lot of um a lot of drugs, a lot of guns, lots of fights, lots So when you say high risk properties, are these like nice properties in bad areas or No, bad properties in bad oh, areas. Okay. Like we're and we're talking the South Congress of so the high prostitution and right. drug dealing days. Okay. Um but Bel Air I don't know if you know Bel Air Motel and Village yeah. Voter Ed and University That's, Heights. I've stayed there actually. On that creek, like yeah. it's uh, they used to do the uh, Midtown nightclub, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, some violent places. Right. And I was, like, again, I was coming in contact with a lot of officers because they were making arrests off of things I was doing. Right. And people often confused me for a police officer. Right. And there was one officer in particular that I would see repeatedly. And one day he just stopped me and said, what are you doing? I was like, oh, well, I'm getting some paperwork ready. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, why are you doing this and not this? Right. I was like, man, I never thought about it before. Right. And he goes, you should. And I was 20, 
one years old, no other direction in life. And so I sat with that little nugget for a while and it's like, let's do this. So I started working out. That's how I started going to the gym mostly, okay. right? And uh, get ready for the academy. And uh, it was 9-11 when I was in the academy. It had just happened. Really? And uh, so like cops were heroes, right? Mm-hmm. And then 20 years later, we're, we're being villainized. So it's yeah. been quite a, a journey. But right. um, yeah, that... That was it. Like, that's how I became a cop. And, and then, again, like I said, I loved it. Right. And you have to. So when back when you were the, the security officer, are you, you're just just kind of walking, patrolling these these areas, and you see something and call the police? You sometimes, call in on them? Sometimes. So we also, I, I ran mostly patrol, so I would drive one of the security cars mm. from property to property. I might get out, walk the property a little bit, engage with people, enforce property rules. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one property that was like, they hung signs that if you're not a resident here by entering this property, you're consenting to search. Um, and somehow people would let you do it. Really? Like, even as a police officer, it's like, I don't know why people consent to search, but they do. Right. <laughs> so, um, and then, yeah, and just, you'd come across just different, different things enforcing the rules right and then cops come and they make the arrest gotcha so so you get into the police force hmm? and so what does that what does that start to look like for you um man it was it was fun like i said when i started cops were heroes right right and it was also an interesting time because that transition was happening from if you run you're going to the hospital mm-hmm. right um but that was still kind of a thing mm. Um, and I just, I loved doing everything. Yeah. I liked coming in contact with people. I liked helping people. Um, and then there's never a dull moment. Every day is different. You get all the ups and downs, um, adrenaline dumps, like, but it was always about being respectful to people. Right. Um, cause again, remembering that detective yep. from when I was 15. And I had a lot of guys tell me that I've arrested. Hey, miss, thanks for being so cool. Yeah. Right. Wasn't always cool. Right. But like I tell them, you get what you give. Right. If you're, res- I'm always going to come at you respectfully, but as soon as you, you change that course or direction, then. Yeah. No I, games. I've been, I've been a part of both of them. <laughs> I've never resisted or anything like that, but I remember the first time I had gotten pulled over and, um, I was driving through, uh, just just north of uh, Waco, and uh, got pulled over on the highway for swerving or whatever I did, and uh, the guy pulled me over, and I had heroin in my in my sock, and he got me out of the car, and uh, he went to go search me, and I was just, I knew I was caught, and I was just like, man, it's in my sock, dude, and he was like appreciative that I was honest with him, mm-hmm. and I, he was probably one of the coolest cops I ever ever met. I mean, it's me. I mean, of course, um, but. Uh, I mean, I'm in cuffs, but he let me smoke a cigarette. He let me smoke mm-hmm. a cigarette in the car, which doesn't might not sound like m- too much to people. Yeah. You're about to go That's to county huge. jail, yeah. never doing it. And then I remember uh, the next time that happened, I assumed all cops let you do that. The next time that happened, that and I had gotten arrested, that, that officer was not so kind to right. me. But you know what I mean? I, I think I can at least look back now and realize that, you know, 
thank and I've told you this before, thank God I was arrested. Thank God I never killed anybody by accident or, you know, nodded out and behind the yeah. wheel and killed a child or something like that. So, you know, at the time when we first had our first conversation, I remember admitting to you, like at the time I was like, fuck the cops, fuck the police. They're just out there to get me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now this far removed from him, I'm like, man, thank God they do what they do. And that's, you know, in getting to know you, getting to talk to you, talking about you coming on the podcast, that's one of my biggest, my biggest things and biggest hopes. And it's, it's been, you know, I think people just sit down and watch an episode of Live PD or Cops right. and understand what police officers in this country are dealing with on a day-to-day right. -day basis. And people are out here talking about defunding the police and stuff like that. Like, that's the wildest statement I've ever heard. And thank God we have police officers. They don't make enough. You know, it's... It's sad. I don't know what you think about it, but, you know, driving through downtown Austin now and seeing a, the sign up on the building that there's like a signing bonus and stuff like that. It's like, wow, they need they need officers that bad. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where they're doing that. Yeah. It's scary. It is scary. Um, and, you know, like when you watch those type of shows, you're only getting a little snapshot. Right. Too. Right. And now understanding kind of like where I'm coming from and just kind of knowing me as a person in the gym and hanging out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm bringing myself to this situation and I'm having to approach it from, from where I'm at. Right. You know, and if, when I come in contact with you, I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. You don't know me. Don't tell me what my, my prejudices are or aren't. Right. Right. Um, and you don't know that if I'm just taking a regular theft call from you, that I just left the fight of my life. Yep or scrape some kid off the pavement, mm -hmm. you know? And it's that constant up and down. Yeah. And you never process it. You never have a chance to process it yeah. because you're just on to the next call. That's deep. And it's, it just is. Yeah. Right? How do you, how do you do it? I'm very good at compartmentalizing. Right, I mean, right? that's me yeah. before. I'm very good at putting things in a box. Um, I think a lot of us are, but I think that's also why there's a lot of alcoholism there's a lot of divorce there's a lot of suicide um you know i've dealt with my own demons i was pretty destructive for a while too especially um you're, I, you're talking about on the police force yeah right um and not that long ago i mean probably well and that's really where i think my fitness journey started was i was drinking bad um it started with a shoulder injury. I got hit by a car at work on a bicycle. Mm. I was working walking beat on 6th Street, um, and we rode bikes a lot, and I got hit by a car. So then I started finding myself drinking to medicate, mm -hmm. um, maybe using my pain pills with alcohol to sleep at night, mm -hmm. right? Like, And instead of, I, th I think I just kind of dived into it then, right? right? And so, and I don't think you and I have ever talked about this part, but also why I was really, the, the, this idea really appealed to me and getting you in touch with our peer support guys um, was that I dealt with those struggles, right? Okay. Um, I was, again, I found myself going down a not so good path. Right. Um, started going to counseling. And even that counselor said, I'm not helping you. Like, I think you need to go to AA. Mm -hmm. um, and I tried that yeah. too. I spent I spent two or three years in AA. I appreciated it. I don't think it was really my 
thing, mm. but I met some great people. Right. They gave me some good tools. Um, but then I really threw myself into bodybuilding. Right. Right. Cause you, you have to be healthy. There is no drinking. Right. Um, and so that's when I started really hitting the gym hard, um, competing, things like that. Right. So I was, when you, when you introduced me to, to the other officers and I had showed up there that day and we, we had sat down in the office, you know, I have like eight, eight other officers or however many it was and me sitting there and, that's not intimidating at all. No. <laughs> Especially for me. Like, are they going to pull up some mold here? Right. Make sure I don't got a warrant out right now. But, uh, you know, to walk in there and I was blown away because I was so excited to be taking that meeting. That was unlike any other meeting I had taken before. And I honestly felt like some of them were more excited than I was that I was there. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away and it really hit home with me when you know, a couple of the guys, they come right out and they were like, hey, we have cops in active addiction. We have cops that are in treatment right now. We have officers that go home to a bottle a night that think because they're just sitting in, you know, they're at home, they're not, you know, breaking the law, that they're okay. Um, you know, mental health things and stuff like that. And I just remember sitting back in my chair and it's like, how more real can, like, oh, they're people too. Mm-hmm. You know, you automatically assume as a, as a civilian, you see somebody in uniform, like, oh, they're a cop. They must have all their shit together. Right. You know, and I have I have family. You know, I have dis, distant family, but I have I have family that lives in other states that are officers, and I know they have issues, marital issues, whatever it is. Right. And so I think if people at large start taking in like they're human too, mm-hmm. they have fights at home, mm-hmm. their kids are bad too, mm-hmm. um, they have childhood trauma, like all these things, and doing that, and then you see, you know, go back to that cops or live PD episode and see what they're dealing with on a daily basis. It's like. Jesus, right? You know, what I mean, like that's that's a lot to deal with, right? Um, I wish I would. I hope people take the time to to really think about that and process that and understand. You know, these people, everybody wants the police defunded until you get robbed or something, or until somebody's in your house, and then hey, there's no police. Who are you going to? Call? Right. You know what I mean? Um, I just learned not long ago. This is kind of off topic, but uh, I just learned about the in a traffic stop when they put their their fingerprint on the car. And I was like, oh shit, like why would they do that? And then understanding why they do that, it's like, you have no idea what you're walking up on. Somebody's gonna run. Mm-hmm. They could have kilos of coke in the trunk and they're ready to kill somebody to make sure they don't go to prison. Yep. Um, especially, you know, where we live so close to the border and stuff like that. It's wild. Yeah. So, so you're an officer, you get into the police force, you mm-hmm. do you work your way up the ranks? Um, no, I stayed. I stayed an officer, okay. um, I, mostly because I wanted, I knew my end goal was to be on the mounted patrol okay. with the horses. Okay. Um, I, I rode horses growing up. I, again, never on the radar to be a cop. I wanted to be a horse trainer right. or go to school for veterinary medicine with an equine specialty. Okay. Right. So, but my early years, I wanted to work the busiest sector in the city, we led the city in violent crime back then. It was like East Riverside okay. area. Um, I used to live over that yeah, way. Just the the fun stuff, yeah. right? And it was constant. Mm-hmm. Um, spent several years there and then went downtown. Of course, went up. It's a good time there too. Right. Um, but more specifically, I knew that's where the horses worked. Okay. So I spent several years working on foot and bike um, being around the horses, getting to know that 
that unit and so started going out and training with them. Right. And then finally, when there's an opening, I got got, got on the mounted unit. And I attached myself to their trainer and told her, I want your job. Oh, really? So when she retired. That was you. I'm, yep, stepped up. That was and awesome. so, so talk about a childhood dream come true that I'm training horses for a living. Right. What, uh, what's it like riding through downtown Austin on a horse as a police officer? It's pretty awesome. Is it? Yeah. It's got to be it's a cool feeling. It's awesome. Yeah. can be a little sketchy sometimes if your horse spooks and you're on pavement. Um, I don't, that's a hard fall. Right. Um, we've had horses go down. We've had people go down. Uh, I remember one time we responded to a shooting in one of the clubs and, you know, we're 10 feet over the crowd. And I just remember hoping like, God, I hope those bullets don't come out (laughs) like out here because we're going to get hit. Right. Like, but yeah, it's a pretty magnificent feeling that one, the horses are amazing. Right. Two, that they would go into that. Yeah. Um, and you get to talk to all kinds of people that you normally wouldn't. Like, people that wouldn't come up and just say hi to me standing on the street corner. Right. They'll come up just to see the horse. Right. And so you get to have a little extra interaction with people. It's cool. I saw a video the other day. It's funny that you're on today. And uh, I saw this video the other day. But a guy walks up to another officer that's, you know, mounted patrol or whatever. And forget how he said it but he was like basically like can, uh, can i pet can i pet you saw it <laughs> and then he oh, starts yeah. petting the guy i was cracking up like that the cop just looked at him he well if you look closely at that video he actually kind of balls up out of it first right. but then he realized he okay this guy's not joke? yeah okay and he laughed at him and shook his, right. shakes his hand I right uh yeah but because after that video came out people were doing it all the time oh really yeah uh yeah I never, you never think about that, but once something like that happens, then everyone's going to, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you still out on patrol or are you just with the horses? Yep. Well, so I patrol on horseback now. Okay. So, and we work, we work 6th Street, like I said, and then anytime there's protests and riots, anytime there's a large crowd of people, we're there. Right. So like 2020, six months of riots and protests, I'm going to call them riots. They were riots. When people right. are... Throwing stuff at us. They were throwing fireworks at us, bottles of urine, bottles of really? frozen water bottles, um, sacks of shit. Like, people were screaming at us. That I remember one guy yelling at me that he was going to pull me off the horse and rape me. Like, those are the, yeah, the, they're not peaceful protesters. Right. Like, those are, they were quite violent. Um, but we bring the horses in. To move them and we we were more successful and we didn't hurt anybody as opposed to the other crowd methods right with the shields and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. everybody wants to get out of the so way the horse. ho- horses are effective right and that doesn't what is so you know a horse when it knows it's going towards this rambunctious possibly violent crowd people screaming throwing stuff and they you guys train them to just mm-hmm. walk right forward yep and it's we we practice natural horsemanship, so it's really about the relationship between the horse and rider. Okay. And they have to have the confidence and respect in you as a leader to go into that mm. because it's totally against their instincts. They're right. prey animals. Their instinct is to run. Right. Right. But. I mean, yeah, you see them, they, they, get, they can get spooked by a snake or absolutely. just something on the ground that's not even anything and they just right. don't know what it is. Yeah. But yet they're going into chaos. Wow. 
And so it's their trust in you that you know what you're mm-hmm. doing. Yep. And our focus straight ahead. And yeah. How long how long does it take to how long do you do y'all work with the horses to get them to that level? So it's it's never ending, really, right? But each horse to de- deploy on patrol is probably six to eight months. Really? Some less, some more. Um but yeah, it takes a while. That's how what's what is it what about a in contrast to like a police dog, like how long is it similar type? Um, yeah, they're probably several months of training as well. And they, again, they also do ongoing training. Um, surprisingly similar, but just, you're also talking about a predatory animal though too. So it's a little bit different. Right. Um, but they, we both work to the animal's instincts. Right. So, so going back kind of over your, over your story, what it, what for you was like the defining moment, like maybe your, your rock bottom moment where, you know, you were, is it that point when you're getting ready to try to move out the, to Seattle? Like, do you have a moment? Do you remember it vividly? And like, what was going through your head? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm 17, I'm pregnant. I'm, I'm engaged to a drug dealer. <laughs> and I was like, is this, is this my life? Like what? What happens to me now? Right. Uh, and we couldn't go anywhere without him getting into a fight. Like, he'd already been to prison. I just, like, I didn't, I was, I remember it was just so surreal. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe this was my life. Right. Um, and that's when I, I went to my brother. I said, I just have to, I have to get out. Yeah. And then, so then, the other side of the coin, do you have that moment of redemption where, like, that proud moment where you just kind of took a look in the mirror and you're like, oh, shit, like, I'm back. I fucking made it. I'm here. You know, I don't think it really clicked until probably even just a few years ago. I'm I'm living downtown Austin now. I always wanted to be downtown. And I was like, how did I get through all this shit? And here I am doing exactly what I want to do. I'm training horses for a living. I'm living downtown. Like, I've made it. Right. I've made it. Like, I don't know how, but I was like, I'm pretty proud of myself. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. What do you think in your entire journey, what would you say was your most valuable lesson? So. It's okay, like. I took my, mine you know, wh- why you think about it. My, mine was for sure about the, the, the people I choose to allow to be around me. I didn't understand it was a choice, you know what I mean? And so like a lot of what I talk about with people today and when I go speak places and I try to get people who are in the same boat as me in trouble with the law, addiction, all that stuff is you need to carry yourself like it should be an honor to stand next to you. And people need to be clear on what goals you're working towards and stuff like that. And if those people around you are not helping you support working towards those goals, they need to be cut the fuck out. Absolutely. I don't care if it's family, friends you've had all your life, stuff like that. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like, I always, I always thought of myself as a leader. Um, all I know, though, is every time I hung around people that did dope, I did dope, too. So I wasn't being much of a leader. Um, mm-hmm. And the moment that I started putting good energy out in the world and keeping very good people that that kind of have what I want in life they're they're honest people want to be their friend the way they carry themselves and stuff like that 
my life completely changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Good people wanted to come into my life. Absolutely. Good people wanted to be around me, give me opportunities and stuff like that. And I was like, oh shit. Because I always just wanted to hang around the funny guys that talk shit and, and all that. But that's all I was ever going to be was just around the funny guys that talk right. shit. Um, I think boundaries is a huge one. Boundaries. Right. Um, and again, like me deciding how people were going to treat me and not not just so allowing them to behave how how they are going to behave. Right. Kind of like you said, right? If you're not positive for me, then you got to go. Right. And... I remember it it was weird how there were sometimes that as strong as I am that I allowed people to treat me a certain way. Right. Right. Yeah, to, I would knowing you now, I would never expect that there's anybody that's imposing their will right, on you or Right. Like why would I put up with that? Right. But there was a I put up with a lot of shit. Right. <laughs> and so now I look back and I go, why did I do that? Right. right. And there was there was a moment I remember um with a and I was sort of a boyfriend, but a boyfriend, right? Where I was like, this is it. I And that was a big moment for me where I was like, oh, I can I can walk away from people. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be their friend. Right. They don't have to be in my life. I yeah. can walk away. Right. Um, so that was a big one. And then moderation, too, yeah. right? Like I think every, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're an addict, alcoholic, or whatever. Everybody needs help with that. Right. But because it was the... If it was, it was always all work, yeah. you know, there's, uh, or all alcohol or it was all gym, all, you know, so I, everything I did, I did to the extreme. Yeah. And so it was finding that middle ground to just take a breath. Right. Finding that healthy balance. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I very first got into the gym, my buddy and I would be in there for three and a half hours mm -hmm. working out the whole right. time, not just shooting the shit and stuff like that. Now, I mean, I hit an hour 15, hour 30. And it's like, man, like, I have no idea how I used to do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I just didn't know. But I was just, thank God I did it because I learned so much being in the gym and teaching myself and stuff like that. And just being in, like, a good, healthy environment right. and all that. But, yeah, you definitely end up leveling it out. And you're like, all right, this is this is what works for me. Right. Um, and you had said about, uh, you know, boundaries and stuff like that. I remember a very important lesson for me was when I got sober, I was so, I didn't know who I was, so I was so insecure. You know, even just talking in a normal conversation, my mind's not on the conversation. My mind's on what do they think about what I'm saying? Are they yeah. judging me right now? Are they judging me for what I'm wearing? Because I didn't have that security blanket of my substance anymore. I didn't have the drugs and alcohol to, to not give mm. a fuck what anybody thought. Okay. And, uh, you know, very, you know, about an early hour or an hour, a year and a half into sobriety, I had gotten into a relationship and was head over heels and this is the one and all that stuff. And I remember she broke up, broke up with me out of the blue, no explanation, no nothing. And I was destroyed. Um, but it's honestly the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me realize and that's honestly, she's what pushed me into going to the gym. Because I said, the next time I see her, I'm going to be fucking Jack. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And everybody always laughs, but whatever it takes for you to get there. Right. But thank God, because the gym has become this other outlet, this other safe haven, this yeah. therapy for me yeah. and everything. And the gym taught me, you know, running running changed my life. But the gym got me back into self-confidence. It, it let me know who I was. You know what I mean? And it, in an odd way, the gym taught me, like, 
it doesn't matter who's in my life. I'm okay being with me. Right. I love who I am. I wouldn't change it for the world. And so, you know, it's funny to look back hindsight 2020 and be like, thank God that happened. Didn't know if yeah. I was going to make it through that, but thank God that happened. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just uh, the insecurity and stuff. Do you have a story that you'd be willing to share that you think can paint a picture for the regular person um, on what you guys deal with on a daily basis? Like a, an experience or a story? As an, as an officer. Um, Let's say somebody's never seen an episode of Cops, they've never right. seen li live PD, and they think you guys just drive around in cars or ride horses all the yeah. time and don't have to deal with anything. So, so I have a few that I was thinking about coming here about what might be appropriate to share. Um, so can, one... Just, as long as you feel comfortable, you can say whatever you want <laughs> on this podcast. Um, and so I've got a few, like, so those kind of had in mind. Um, so I'm working East Riverside, right, and I get... We get a call about a guy that was harassing people outside the Pizza Hut or whatever over there. And uh, I get there, and it's a, this kid that I've arrested countless times before. He's bum. He's crackhead. Um, I'm pretty sure he'd been smoking that day. Because um, he, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, when crack smokers sweat. Yeah. It's slimy. Yeah. Like, it's weird. And you can't. Hang on to him, right. right? And so I told him, I was like, hey, man, you got to go to jail. Like, this is just how it is. I was like, so stand up, put your hands behind your back. And he's like, he just got that thousand-yard stare. And he goes, nope. And he gets up to take off. And I, he doesn't have a shirt on. He's got a backpack and shorts. And I go to grab him. And I can't hang on to him. And it's, I'm sliding off. And we're fighting. Mm -hmm. And uh, he tries to hit me a couple of times. I take him down. Somehow he gets on top of me, though. And now he's on top of me and strangling. He's strangling. And I'm by myself. I, there was no backup really? available at the moment. Um, and I'm fading. Like, I can tell I'm fading. Really? And I also knew that he was HIV positive. Um, and all I can think of to get out of this is I'm going to have to shoot this guy. All right. Right? Like, I'm about to blast this guy's got to him i'm just just from here to here yeah and as soon and i reached up and somehow i had just enough reach to grab his head and hold him down to me and when i did that i heard my radio key up and i took the biggest breath i could and i said his name was dallas i said dallas stop fighting just to let everybody no. So his head hit his your... head hit oh. my radio, turned my radio on, wow. and so and I I knew if I could get that out, yeah. everybody would know I was fighting, right? Right? Because then they hear all the rustling, and and then when you don't answer again, cavalry's coming, right? Right? And I can start hear the sirens coming and stuff, but somehow I got control of him. I flipped him over, handcuffed him, and I I tell you, I wanted to tase him just for the right, just to do it. Just because, fuck you. Right. You were trying to kill me. Right. And then I see feet. And it, the woman that had called went in and got her husband from the Pizza Hut to come over and help me. But I got him in cups already. <laughs> I was like, so. But. uh, Yeah, I mean, be. If, if people are being honest with themselves. And, you know, I don't. You'd be, I, in my opinion, you'd be hard pressed to find a person that would be in your position 
literally having been choked choked out and somebody literally trying to kill you and they wouldn't have that same yeah same reaction right. at the end like i'm about to tase this motherfucker you want to try to kill right. me like right if somebody says they wouldn't feel that either i, know, I wouldn't you're different than me right i i wouldn't and i didn't but come on man right. like yeah. fuck yeah, like just for life. one yeah just cut and all you're doing you're doing your job yeah literally what you're paid right to uphold the law. and we didn't have to do this Right. It could have been super easy. And it was something stupid. Right. Right. He had some stupid warrant or something. Maybe you would have let him smoke a cigarette like that cop did. Probably so. Right. Like, um, but then dust off, book him in, my paperwork, on to the next. Like, yeah, it was stupid. Right. Um, big dramatic Thanksgiving Day shooting. Guys going around downtown. We'd just uh, gotten back. I was on horseback. We'd just gotten back to the trailers and dismounted from my horse when just automatic gunfire starts going off at the towards the headquarters building. One of the horses gets loose. Automatic? Mm-hmm. Oh. Starts running up the street. And I think it was that horse that got his attention that we were down there. Mm-hmm. So then, of course, he starts... Firing at us. Officers are trying to have a rifle? close ground. Hmm? He's got all kinds of stuff. Uh, um, what is this? This was Thanksgiving 2014. Thanksgiving night, like that Black Friday morning. Bar closed. And we'd just opened 6th Street. And, uh, and hold on one, one second. And just to, just to paint a picture, Austin is kind of known as one of the more safer places in the in the country. So imagine a and back then, yeah, yeah. Imagine a Chicago, a Baltimore, like any of these, right? Or L.A., right? New York, right? Right. Anyway, uh, and so and I've got my horse, right? My horse is freaking out, right? And uh, you can hear the like the bullets ricochet. Okay, something I just noticed. Talk about trauma response, like I'm. I'm literally still ducking, telling the story because I can hear the the zip. Yeah, mm-hmm. the zip and the ping off the concrete oh. and stuff, right? Uh, and so I'm gonna go like try to close ground on this guy, and I hit the end of my lead rope. My horse is like, I'm <laughs> not going out there. And I remember looking back at him, and he's like, his eyes looked this big, and his nostrils are like, mm-mm. And I said to him, I was like, sorry, buddy, we got to go. And uh, so I started going up towards the sidewalk, and another officer is next to me, and she's holding two horses. And I get up to the sidewalk, and I see my sergeant, to like, blocking my view of the sidewalk. And I was like, okay, well, and my sergeant is also holding two horses. And I was like, well, if he's not advancing, because I can't see this guy, it's blocked by the trailer. Mm-hmm. But I could still hear everything coming at us. And so I said, okay, well, if my sergeant's not advancing, then I'm going to stay here. And then I have my little, like, lethal weapon moment that with this officer where, like, you know, in lethal weapon, there's all the banter between Danny Glover and, yeah. and Mel Gibson, even though it's crazy, you know, they're taking on gunfire and stuff. Yeah. Literally. Well, we're doing the same thing here. It was the... Like, time just slowed down, and I was like, how did you get two horses? <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to get down. Get back. You're going to get hit. I was like, yeah, but, like, we just had this odd 
back and forth in this moment in the middle of mayhem yeah and uh i was like all right well i gotta go <laughs> and so what i pictured myself doing was we were gonna close ground down the street and i was gonna use my horse for cover because he can take a lot more rounds than i can and if he goes down then that's we'll go down and try to take the guy out from there and then just as we're about to do that this is your horse well, he's owned by the city, but no, it was but my assigned is... horse. We were part. That's my partner. Right. Right. So, I mean, there's emotional but attachment. There. Absolutely. Right. But we also have a job to do. Yeah. Because he's a cop, too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we're, we're about to go, go do this thing, and I hear one shot that was distinctly different from all the others. And then it's just quiet. Sergeant says, get all the horses up in the garage, like, because... Uh, we thought there were two shooters at the time. So we get a position of, you know, race position and cover. And then guys go in, take this guy into custody. He's he's down, right? And because uh, it was an officer that fired. And then I hear he, he might have a bomb. And I was like, first of all, you're not supposed to say bomb on the radio, but... And then I look down and I see the cops on foot running as fast as they can away from this guy. Like they, they put him in cuffs. He's strapped with all these canisters and he's got all these canisters in his van and stuff too. And so they just drop him and started running. I was like, oh my God. This sounds like a lethal weapon. I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, is this ever going to end? I was like, okay, we run. And so we just wanted to get away from it. Right. And uh, turned out it was my sergeant. That was standing right in front of me, holding two horses, took a 312-foot shot with his handgun, and... With a handgun? With a handgun. Um, That's a hell of a shot so right there. Guy, yeah. It was remarkable. And he's very humble about it. Yeah. He's like, I... That wasn't me. Right. He's like, but same... He described kind of the same thing. He's like, everything just got quiet. Took a deep breath. He's like, and he was very father-like to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's like, I knew that I just, I had to protect people, mm -hmm. right? And this guy was coming after us. And he's like, and I had to protect us. But we all had that right. attitude, right? Right. Um, and, then, and then you're up all next day trying to do all the interviews and it was exhausting. Yeah. What happened in that, in that instance? What if a civilian intervenes? They get uh, in trouble or no? Uh, well, with this DA, they might, but you shouldn't. I mean, right. it's self-defense yeah. and defense of a third party. So, no, you shouldn't. And honestly, I think we're going to see a lot more of that with with department deep being defunded and the shortage of cops. You're going to see a lot more vigilantism, I think. And people are going to be required to stand up for themselves because there's just not enough of us to get there. Right. And we're just not around. And I think we're already starting to see that. No, I def I definitely notice it. Like just the amount of cop cars I don't see that I'm mm -hmm. used to seeing. Right. You know, even even other departments like oh, yeah. highway patrol, stuff like mm -hmm. that. Uh yeah, it's yeah. I don't want to say it's a ghost town, but and then the more and more if you follow the news at all, just I mean the the amount of shootings and stuff happened in Austin, which is not, I mean, 
I'm from Youngs, Youngstown, Ohio. For a time, it was the murder capital of the United States yeah. per capita. So yeah. Like, we used to that. Not used to that in Austin, though. No. Right. And just these high-level high, high level ones that are happening. Yeah. We're, That's wild. Austinites aren't used to that. Right. Yeah. And North, I, North I grew Austin up in especially. this. Town. <laughs> yeah. I know. But it's happening there, too. A lot. And we just had that, uh, I believe he was a... Uh, he was a former officer, the North Austin shooter, or the Austin shooter, whatever they were calling him. He had, I think he went into a Starbucks and killed his uh, his ex-wife and child or whatever up in North Austin in the Arboretum area. I don't, you don't remember that? Uh-uh. And then they ended up catching him like out in the country, walking like Smithville or Elgin or somewhere out there, walking down the road. Doesn't ring. See, there's so many that you don't remember. Yeah. But there were like... I remember they thought they had got him, and then they didn't, and there was helicopters going up over our apartment building, and... Dang. This was like a... Probably a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, they blend together now. Right. <laughs> and I mean, the Arboretum is a nice... Yeah. Nice area. Yeah. So for a, an active shooter, we... I remember them saying active shooter, active like, shooter. to the point where we were getting texts. Yeah. Like, texts right. from... You know, yeah, the emergency management. Area, yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. Did I cut you off from another story? Um, I'll give you one more. Okay. I, we might have talked a little bit about it, but... Um, so, driving down the street, and we get a call that a deputy needs assistance. Um, so, it wasn't even one of us, but... And... Did I tell you the story? Like, two turns? Anyway, so, we... I'm literally two turns from the house where this deputy is fighting a guy with a net. Okay. And I go running up to the door, and as I'm hitting the front door, the deputy comes out with the guy in handcuffs and sits him down on the front porch. Deputy's, like, covered in blood, and he, but his face is just like, oh, my God. And I was like, bro, you good? Like, you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Mom came out and put a towel on this kid because he's naked. Mm -hmm. um, but I noticed, like, blood pooling underneath of him, and I was like, oh. Okay, that's not good. Um, I was like, all right, bro, you good? Like, I'm going to go, I'll go secure this, the house. Mm -hmm. And so I follow the blood trail into the house and it kind of takes off two different directions. And I look to the right and I can see the bathroom and there's blood like just everywhere, everywhere. I was like, oh my God. And then when I look at this way, it goes towards the back door and mom is pulling the dogs in the back door. I said, ma'am, this is, technically a crime scene said so you need to leave the dogs out back she said well his penis is out back and i don't want them to eat it probably my face <laughs> right <laughs> and uh i said okay well like can you lock them in the garage or something i'm also thinking i gotta see this yeah so <laughs> i walk i follow the blood trail out to the backyard and uh there is a giant, like, serrated bread knife laying in the backyard right next to his feet. So I asked mom to bring me a Ziploc bag of ice and a second empty Ziploc bag. And I pick it up like a dog turd, put it in the ice, and I bebop out the front door with it and hand it to the medic. And everybody is just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And he say, he's rocking back and forth saying the Lord's Prayer. Um, he he's, had... He's high, right? Oh, super high. Um, 
Mom said he had made a tea. So I'm assuming it was shroom, Mushroom. opium, something, right? Right. Um, apparently what it, or, and so we're standing out on the front porch. They're about to transport him. And she goes, well, his testicles are in the bathtub. And she disappears into the house again, right? And she, and she comes back out with him and puts, puts him in the bag. And so apparently what had happened was that he had made this tea and then locked himself in the bathroom. And Jesus told him he needs to mutilate himself. And so he had lined up a bunch of different cutting instruments and had been in the bathroom cutting himself. And they finally figure out like what's happening. And dad has to break down the door to the bathroom the fight's on in the bathroom. The deputy gets there. They're fighting. Runs out to the backyard and cuts penis off in front of the deputy. But oh now, again, not my not my call, right? So I just go back in service. And I take... Uh, I wind up making an arrest, a warrant arrest or something. Take the guy to jail and... Uh, I, for some reason, I wound up back inside the jail with some of the jailers that we didn't normally go to. Do I hear them talking about it? And I was like, oh, I was on that call earlier. Uh, I was like, but you know, I didn't, I didn't get the deputy's name. And they go, it was Deputy Cox, C-O-X Cox. And I was like, bullshit, nah. you guys are fucking with me. You guys are fucking with me. And they're like, no, 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 seriously, like C-O-X Cox. It's like, mm. I never believed them until I, I was able to confirm it many years later. Oh, shit. I was like, oh, man. But I another weird connection but um yeah they, they medics told me they were able to reattach really the penis and one testicle it'll never be functional but uh, but he can urinate through it i think but like holy said, shit i did i did holy all that shit. i did all that and then i just went and took another call this is the biggest crew, made crew a traffic reaction i've ever gotten <laughs> holy shit like uh yeah just another day. Right, and then you're right back out there yeah. on the next day. Yeah. Oh, I knew, I knew, I knew of somebody, um, a distant relative who had a, a serious drug problem, and they were got all whacked out like that, and they didn't like the tattoos on their leg, so they took sandpaper and sandpapered <sighs> themselves down to the bone. Yeah. To the bone. Yeah. I think the first call I ever took, uh, like, first day on the job. I'm I'm with a FTO field training officer. Uh, first call was a medical assist to a woman that was giving premature. She's gone into premature labor because she had just smoked a bunch of meth. Like that was my first call. I had told you about when I was on on vacation and I had, you know, I had come a guy that I met on vacation. You know, there was another another couple there and. We had a, a bus ride to whatever we were going to do, and he sat there and was telling me stories, and I was just like, I mean, th this is horrible stuff, but I could listen to this all day. Please keep going. But mm -hmm. I'd, And it's stuff like that and hearing stuff like this, and hopefully the audience, when they hear it, it's like, how can you not have respect? You know what I mean? I think everybody knows you don't. To my knowledge, you don't become a cop because you want to get rich. Right. Um, yeah. And so can you imagine doing this day in and day out, never having the time to be able to process that? Right. Um, I mean. I used to have this kid, too. He was a big uh, meth smoker that, for some reason, he and I just connected. And I was, I don't know why, but he would listen to me. 
And so his mom would call the cops and she would specifically request that, that I come out. Um, I don't, probably because I tr treated him differently than the other cops, right? Cops got out there, so I'll mm. meth addict and treated him accordingly. And he could tell you cared. Yeah. And I've, he was in high school still, right? And I had my own struggles in high school and at that age. And I was so maybe I identified with him a little bit. Mm. But, um, and I remember one time he got mad at me because I, I didn't agree with him for, you know, this time. And I was like, well, Kevin, like people that don't do drugs don't have your problems. Right. Um, and it's like, yeah. Okay. But yeah. What do you think? Do you think people have, or what do you feel the misconception between the, the general public and the police forces like that, that the general public has about police? Misconception. Yeah. Um, like, what do you feel they don't understand? That we actually do try to avoid using force, right? I think, I think a lot of people believe that we are looking to go out and just stir up and strong arm people and be that tough guy and stuff. And that's really not, not it. I think, again, we didn't get in this to get rich. Um, we're not a bunch of bullies. I think people genuinely get into this job because they want to help out of a servant's heart. Mm -hmm. um, and that they're human. They're not robots. And we have to, but we have to react accordingly. Yeah. Again, right? And so, but I think a lot of people think we're just waiting to to get in that fight right. or... Am I expecting a fight? Always, right? I have to be ready for it. Yeah. But I. Are you not? Are you not coming home? Right. But we're not. Trust me. A lot of us go out of our way to avoid using force. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I'm trying to start a force avoidance reporting system for the department um, because we've never documented when we don't use force. We only document when we do. And so I think today, especially. Um, it's more important to find out, like, even though I was justified using force, I avoided it. Mm -hmm. Um, and how can we, how can we report that? Right. So I'm, I'm working on doing something like that, but I do think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions is that I'm just going to come in here and bully people. Right. Um, again, I think most of us have a servant's heart, um, and are genuinely trying to help. Right. So what is what does it look like on the inside the police force when, you know, obviously, like like we've already spoken about, police officers are human too. Obviously, there's nowhere you're going to go where there's not, where every, every apple is a good apple. There's going to be a bad apple. So when you see some of these mishaps with law enforcement and in, in, in the public eye where, where a cop was wrong um, and stuff like that, and knowing that now the entire law enforcement is going to be painted in that light, what what does that look like for you guys? Like, what are you guys saying? Like, I mean, obviously you've had to see a video or something on the news where you're like, oh, that cop fucked up right there, and now we got to pay for it. Right. Um, you just know that that's going to happen. You got to roll with the punches. 
it's just another day on the job, right? That we're, we know we're going to be scrutinized and there's always going to be another one. Yeah. And so I always tell people I try to be as fair and impartial as possible. And I just have to keep showing up, doing my job um, legally, morally, most ethically as possible. Mm. Um, and I can't, I can't worry about what some guy three states away did and, and let that affect how I police. Right. Right. Um, and you just roll with the punches, right? Because every day we're getting cursed at. I'm getting called names. I'm do, right. It's not personal. It's like you said, there's those boundaries, right? If, if you're not my people, then whatever you call me should just roll off. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now it's hard when it's on a grand scale. Yeah. Right. Sure. There's a, I feel like a lot of cops in general right now are like kicked puppies. It's just the spirit is gone, mm -hmm. the low morale, you know, yeah. but it is, you just have to one day at a time. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, it's even getting to the point where back in Vietnam it happened, but even the, you know, now like the military is painted like that and stuff like that. So I get, you know, I don't know what it's like to be an officer. I do know what it's like to be a soldier. And so I get it on, I get it on yeah. some level. Um, so what do you think, what would your, how can the community better help the police force? Few things, I think. Um, one, words of appreciation are always wonderful. It's always great to hear. We support you. We, you know, we appreciate you. Thank you for what you do. That's mm -hmm. always awesome. Um, two, teaching people, teaching your kids, um, you know, respect goes a long way. Even if you don't like what I'm doing, even if you d disagree with what I'm doing, um, if you fight or you run, we don't have a choice, mm -hmm. right? So make the complaint later. Make a, you know, you know, file something late, right? We, we can handle it in court at a later time. But your actions dictate mine, mm -hmm. right? So are we going to run or are we going to fight? But as long as we can act civilly even if i'm being an asshole then let's handle that someplace else but like your actions dictate mine right um but most of all voting appropriately um getting good policy makers on city council and your county positions right that is what impacts us by far the most right um because uh, illogical, some of the things I have seen across the country, mm -hmm. right, just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Again, with the defunding and then just other weird social programs. Right. Yeah, I've, I think I've just, just recently now that I'm getting older and, you know, for whatever reason, I always feel like my, my vote didn't matter and stuff like that. But when I think of voting, I'm only thinking like president, right. stuff like that. And it just took me, it took me to get to 40 years, 40 years of age where now I understand like, if you actually want to see a difference, you need to vote in your local stuff. That's what matters. That's where you're actually going to ever see That's it. That's the biggest impact and the lowest voter turnout. Right. Right. And so just like, like the DA, right. And this non-prosecution of, of crime, um, there's no consequence to action. And so it's in, emboldening 
that's why we're having more shootings. That's right because there's there is no consequence. There's no if you shoot what? I don't even know about this. What do you there's mean? been play. I think out of out of so many like shootings and murders, violent crime. Like they've only pro- taken like five cases to court. And so what are these? Because people? they're concentrating on prosecuting cops for doing their job. Remember, um, but they've yeah they're not really prosecuting they do a lot of plea deals they plea them down to misdemeanors no wonder there's that sign on the side of the fucking police force when they need a a bonus to get a cop right and we're like probably closer to 900 cops short if you count 900 Mm. i think last count i heard we were down to like 1400 cops something i know yeah Start thinking about that if you're if something's happening to your child. It's going to be that much longer before somebody can get there because you're short-staffed because this officer and this officer are over, way over here on the other side of the town dealing with these people mm-hmm. downtown or, mm-hmm. or whatever like that, and now they're not going to be able to be there for right. it. And, then, and even most recently, they um, prevented is, I think, the term that was used at, at city council that they prevented civilian personnel from being transferred to the police department um, to process like timesheets and pay sheets. So because we're so shorthanded, everybody's working a ton of overtime. So of course that's not great to have a tired cop out there either. Mm. Um, But we're not getting paid our overtime because they can't process the timesheets fast enough because they're overwhelmed. You have like three people processing hundreds and thousands of overtime. And so now when you're overworked from your overtime, you're also worried about how you're going to pay for your son or your daughter to get in soccer or anything for it in a timely fashion. Right. Right. And if you're not paying attention, there's times you probably won't get paid for it at all. So you have to keep track of it. Right. And so this is what your mind is on as you're patrolling around. That's, that's crazy. Um, so voting is a huge, especially on the local level, is what affects us the most. Right. I'm going to be telling people this. Yeah. For sure. So we, you've talked about some heavy stuff. Um, I'm going to kind of change gears real quick. I got some fun questions for you, believe yeah. it or not. <laughs> so I just want you, just a couple ones, um, just tell me. Kind of the first thing that comes to your mind whenever I throw this out there, right? Okay. All right. The gym. Bodybuilding. Bodybuilding? Therapy. Hey, yeah. that's, my, that's my therapy for sure. What would you say is your fight song? If you're about to walk out for the the women's championship in the UFC tonight, what is, what's your song that gets you amped up and going? Top Gun. Top Gun. Ooh, the Top Gun theme. There you go. I like Little Danger Zone. That's I think that's that's my mom's favorite movie. Once or twice a year, my I'll call I'll call and talk to my stepdad and he'll be like, "Oh, your mother's downstairs. She's watching Top Gun. She has to get her fix." She <laughs> says, "That's funny." Do you have a what's your guilty pleasure? The Real Housewives. Is it? Yeah. Really? <laughs> the Real Housewives. My wife watches all those shows. Not that one though. Yeah. I, I'm like, it's some real problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> The Real Housewives, which uh, isn't there? Diff- there's different ones, right? Up yeah, I, I, 
I've been so far behind, but the Jersey ones were always good. Plus, I like to hear him talk. Really? Uh, yeah. That's fine. What is a uh, favorite movie? This is going to be a funny one. Okay. Um, so I have two. Right. One's Unusual Sus- or Usual Suspect. Great movie. Um, and the other one is Guys and Dolls. It's a musical. Is Frank it? Sinatra, Marlon Brando. Really? Yeah. There's some crazy Marlon Brando stories out there. Crazy Marlon yeah. Brando stories. He was a little bit before my time, but I mean, like, Apocalypse Now, God, God, Godfather is what I know yeah. him from, but he was a wild boy. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> Usual suspects are the classic. Yeah. Benicio Del Toro, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, just the, the yeah. mind. Yeah, it's cool. I wish Kevin Spacey didn't get in trouble. He was one of my favorite actors. Oh, poor guy. Not poor guy, but that sucks. Mm-hmm. Not saying he's a poor guy. Um... United States of America. Freedom. Freedom, good one. Competition. That's bodybuilding. Bodybuilding? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you just took took the other one. What is freedom? Yeah. What is freedom yeah. or freedom? Freedom. What, what comes to mind when you hear freedom? Being an, being an officer, freedom. Yeah. Life. I mean. Good. I like it. So, because this is the I Am Redemption podcast, I'd like uh, if you if you would, you know, I, I ask these fun fun questions at the end because people people can tell their story, but we don't know like who they are. We just know the story, right? So those were the fun questions. But if you would be so kind, if you would maybe look into the camera and let them know who you are. I'm Amanda. I'm a police officer, but I'm a woman. I'm a fighter. I'm also a lover. I'm human. Love it. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to come on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really hope, you know, with, with you coming on here and, and being so open and vulnerable about your, yourself, your personal life, your career, everything like that, I hope anybody that ever watches this gets a better, better scope about who you are and who every officer is. And, and hopefully it's going to inspire some hope and understanding out there in such a, a negative time and a negative world. So... Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. See you tomorrow at the gym. Yeah, for sure. Bright and early. Bye.